Welcome back to Ben and Matt's Marvelous Journey. This is an MCU podcast. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips. Ben, how's it going? It's good. I watched this movie a long time ago now because life got in the way. So I'm out of like MCU brain and I'm back into like wanky foreign film brain. So we'll see whether or not I can drag it back in to discuss the final and best, second best, one of the better Phase 4 movies. I don't know. Like it's... Best question mark. Yes, this is episode 41. It is Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It is the final entry in phase four of the MCU, which, you know, has been not their best foot forward for the majority of it. Some really good stuff, but overall, the quality level is on average a lot lower. It's kind of the average is lower and the bottom is lower because it's like when i'm thinking of like the stuff i didn't like from early volumes it's like obviously we don't like hulk but hulk feels like it's this weird aberration that they kind of like realized didn't work and then managed to like paper over through corporate dealings by not having to like make hulk sequels and whatnot yeah they just used Um, avengers to just you know rehabilitate him and yeah exactly like we can put we can put ruffalo into other movies and not have the burden of having to do a hulk movie and then the other ones like iron man 2 thor the dark world projects that like you can feel they're almost working but there's something holding them back from actually being Mm -hmm. kind of like that baseline quality whereas the last two years we had falcon the winter soldier what if moon knight Thor, Love and Thunder, Black Widow, and even the ones that we kind of like um, are soft positive on, like Eternals, are definitely signs that like exactly things are things are going wrong here because public perception for none of them is universally kind of like beloved. Everyone is kind of like either again perception is way more mixed where no one has the same favorite projects. We stand Loki. It's probably our favorite overall project from Phase Four between the two of us. Absolutely. And I know people who are like, that was the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and like, we're, you know, we stumped for a Multiverse of Madness. I know multiple people who are like, oh, really disappointing. I wanted more cameos. And you, know, you saying as your first justification as why it's not good is you wanted more cameos is kind of the problem. But yep. anyway, this movie had an impossible task on its hands. Mm-hmm. Bearing in mind all of that sentiment about Phase 4, Bearing in mind that, tragically, Chadwick Boseman passed away between films, and bearing in mind this movie was made still very much during a pandemic, and its new lead is anti-vax, and... The new lead has what was what credited to like having back problems, and so was unable to shoot for a long portion of the movie. Everything that could go wrong with the movie went wrong with this movie, I think, behind the scenes. And that's before we even get into the fact that like you're trying to follow up on one of the most wholly culturally successful moments you've had, your Best Picture nomination, your like domestic records for box office movie, like, this, this hugely successful thing. And how do you, even if Chadwick is there, and like how do you run it back? And then having to do that while also trying to salvage the MCU to an extent and then dealing with all the like logistics of filming the fucking thing. I don't think it got all the way there. I know there are people that really didn't like this. I do really like it. I, I, I wouldn't put it in, like, my absolute best bloody faves, but, like... No, th- yeah, this is this is not top ten material for the MCU. It is it is far too messy, but we... I think we both come very much on this show where, like, we like messy when heart is in the right place. Yeah. There's more than enough here for me to cling on to and, like, 
make my kind of Matt's director's cut version of it or I'll just ignore the scenes I don't like kind of thing. Most of it, the white people, but we'll get into that. It's weird because this movie is obviously so... It is such a step down from the first movie. Like, the first movie makes $700 million at the domestic box office. It was top four of all time. It's been bumped down now by Top Gun Maverick and Spider-Man No Way Home. So, like, it... it, I mean, or even Endgame wasn't even out at that point. So it was, like, top three... movies of all time at the domestic box office it outgrossed avengers infinity war domestically in the year it came out which is crazy to think about that a movie like that could do that and then this movie it still makes 450 million dollars the domestic box office it's still in the top 24 of all time but it hasn't cracked a billion it's still hanging out at 850 and some of that is coming from your lack of kind of international releases in in certain countries some of it is coming from just you have to say it's racism like the fact that you cannot you cannot put you cannot put Chadwick Boseman's face on the poster for the original Black Panther says a lot about kind of like where we are at an international community and something which is for all it says about being about the African experience is still a westernized depiction of it it does kind of like hamper in a very racist world like kind of like what this impact is going to have even though obviously it is hitting at home in the US just not to the scale that the first movie did I, yeah, as I said, an impossible task in many ways. I think they rose to it as best they could, and I think a lot of people are of the opinion the best stuff is how they've handled the passing of Chadwick, like, you know, the, the funeral for T'Challa and, like, the hole in their lives that has been left. I remember that when Comic-Con happened and the trailer for this movie, the first trailer for this movie dropped, mm. and the tone was so good and you've got the the fantastic cover of um no, uh, no woman no cry and then and then obviously bleeding into all right by kendrick lamar you're like have they nailed this have they actually managed to push through and and make this like a singular piece of quote-unquote art dealing with all this stuff and then you sit down for the movie and they're so close to being there but like it's similar to Doctor Strange, where a lot of the stuff that feels like it's dragging this down and taking away from the central conflict is all the stuff that is setting up future MCU projects. Does Ironheart need to be here? Do we need to return to Everett Ross and and finding out about his relationship with Valentina? It all feels so extraneous. And I think the, the benefit this movie has, though, is that whilst something like Thor Love and Thunder is, and even Doctor Strange is kind of limited to two hours. This did get to go longer. So even if they cut the 40 minutes of this movie out that does consist of kind of like all the stuff that's setting up future projects, it still would come in at the same length as those other movies. Now, obviously I would prefer this be a two and a half hour movie with half an hour more time for like Namor's family and and that Mm -hmm. stuff. For what it is and for where this is positioned, it's a sad statement for the mcu that ryan coogler couldn't push through and be able to make a sequel devoid of mcu bullshit but he's done better than anyone else i think in phase four in juggling the different masters that he's having to serve yeah uh well you mentioned namor there and you know long speculated and and eventually confirmed that namor would be the villain in this movie i think was always planned to be the villain even if chadwick were returning a character that you and I were excited to see join the MCU, one that has some complicated rights issues, similar to Hulk. I believe Universal own the rights to Namor solo movies, but he's not in a solo movie here, so that's fine. So, would you like to run us through the history of Marvel's first mutant? 
yeah, so Namor was is Marvel's first mutant. He is credited as being a mutant in this movie, but he was never originally created as a mutant. He is one of the very, very first Marvel characters. Uh, he first appeared in Marvel Comics number one, dated 1939. The first comic, timely comics as it was known back then, and he was on a team book. We included like Captain America and the Human Torch, and he was very much kind of like in that early section of the characters. And interestingly, he's the only one of those characters who kind of continues in a straight line where Captain America gets frozen for 20 years. Human Torch is a robot who becomes a human as part of the Fantastic Four as a different character. But Namor is the the king of Atlantis through and through from the very beginning. And because of that, he's kind of got this kind of elevated but always supporting role in Marvel Comics, would you say? Yeah, I think is what I like about him is that I'm sure at some point there have been some good Namor miniseries or stories spotlighting just him but like i love that he is always just kind of out there and will just appear in a book and he has this strong presence as this almost chaotic neutral he's not evil but he he has conflict with the heroes and he's also not an out and out i will save the whole world kind of character and uh yeah i I think marvel is better for having characters like namor and dr doom just always bubbling away in the background (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we say Doctor Doom, obviously, Namor is most famous for his relationship with the Fantastic Four, in spite of kind of like where he goes after this, but like, he is famous for trying to cuck Reed Richards, um, (laughs) in the way that many, many people try to cuck Reed Richards, but yeah, his relationship with Fantastic Four is really interesting, he's obviously ties in with the Avengers, the Invaders, the Defenders, I feel like... I don't know when they come down on the side of him being a mutant. I'm not sure on the timeline Mm. of that, but obviously it feels like since kind of 2000, there was a very concerted effort to be like, and Namor is with the X-Men. Like he is... His his ankle wings, his ability to breathe land, (laughs) breathe on the land, and his ears are all attributed to being a mutant, and then the rest of him is Atlantean. Yes. So he, that is where... And the X-Men part is kind of like the most important part here because it kind of ties into what becomes his position on the Illuminati, where he is not representing the mutant kind, he is representing the the people of Atlantis. But at this time, he is palling around with the X-Men when something which we haven't actually had a chance to talk about and is the basis for this movie, the Phoenix Force from the X-Men universe, comes to Earth and inhabits the bodies of five mutants. So it's... Namor, Cyclops, Magic, Colossus, and Emma Frost are the five mutants who it kind of possesses and imbues them with power. So this is in the comic Avengers vs. X-Men when this happens. And basically the X-Men are trying to find the... or trying to find the future host for the Phoenix Force, who is Hope. Yep. See, this is getting so complicated because like she's the first of... mutant born since the Scarlet <laughs> Witch made it, so there are no more mutants except for the like one hundred or so that we like, and no new ones were born. And then one was born, and she is the special Messiah chosen one, and she yeah. looks an awful lot like Jean Grey. And <laughs> of course, the Phoenix has a thing for redheads, so uh... yes. So basically, the Phoenix Five are trying to find Hope. Hope is being protected by the Avengers in Wakanda. And so Namor basically goes, hmm, what if I flood Wakanda because I'm now a Phoenix carrier? And that is the piece of the story where this is pulling from. Obviously, like, at the time, Black Panther and Namor don't really have much like beef between each other i think they're both they're not even both serving on the illuminati at this point are they this is just atlantis declares war on uh, on wakanda purely because hope is being harbored in wakanda yeah 
conveniently, this is also when Black Panther decides to divorce Storm. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, the mid- yeah, the the thing that never comes up anymore that Storm and, and Black Panther were, I think, somewhat controversially wedded to each other by editorial mandate, and then uh... we have two black characters who are who are from <laughs> Africa. Surely they should be in a romantic relationship with each other. Egypt and Wakanda can be the same thing. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> yeah, they divorce over the whole AVX beef i believe yeah i mean it's, it's weird to be this deep into mutant law now because obviously it's <laughs> like we've we've you've done a podcast about the x-men but never really <laughs> dove into like the the background of of the x-men on, on that like it would come up in in passing and it would kind of be more like i don't like space x-men i'm very glad that the movie x-men have very rarely done space yeah. i remember being <laughs> opinions that were stated on that uh, whereas we, now that we've got namor and miss marvel is sufficiently mutant and professor x has shown up we kind of have to delve into yeah. an entire like what is the the grand soap opera of the of the marvel comics universe no other comics that they publish is as soapy as the x-men and as complicated as the and, x-men and far-reaching and and literally to the corners of the universe to the depths of the ocean to their own island orgy nation uh, <laughs> yeah we mentioned orgy nation quite frequently i think more recently it's a but... fucking thing they have an island and they all just fuck each other on it anyway but yeah that is the the basis of the t'challa namor beef and then it was made juicier by the fact they were forced to serve on the same team in the illuminati slash new avengers which was just delicious as that opening like I will fucking kill you when this is over. Because I think Hickman writes the issue where Namor floods Wakanda. So the, the writers on the Avengers vs. X-Men were kind of like the five big Marvel architects at the time, each taking their, their time to kind of like write a different part of the story. And so it's a very weird event in Marvel history where yeah. it's kind of the culmination of ten years worth of X-Men comics uh, in very real terms, but being written by five very different writers mm-hmm. with different strengths and sensibilities. Yes. So it's not... <laughs> Not cohesive, but Hickman, obviously, I think all, all five of them carry on writing for Marvel, apart from Red Brubaker, who's kind of leaving leaving the company at this point. But Hickman obviously picks up the pieces that he really is excited by after this, and two of them are the Namor Black Panther beef that comes from Namor declaring war on Wakanda for no reason, killing many, many people. T'Challa is not the king of Wakanda at this point, is he? No, he's been... Or is he, or is he, ousted, or is he ousted because of the war that happens? I and so... think because of that. And then the, and then he is... So conveniently, right, right next to like the Golden City or just outside of, of the main bit of Wakanda is what they call the City of the Dead, which is kind of like a ruined coliseum. And T'Challa becomes the king of the dead and can talk to all the past Black Panthers all the time and functionally is still just the Black Panther, but Shuri, again, another key piece of this movie, um, and we promise we're talking about all this for a reason, Shuri becomes queen, becomes official Black Panther, because apparently you can have two. Well, I guess Bast is giving T'Challa almost identical but different powers. So yes, he is ousted, and then obviously when they're like, real cut up about it because they love him but then when they discover that he's been working on a team with Namor they're even more furious with him <laughs> and then they all like they I think they each turn on each other at least once I, th- I feel yeah, like T'Challa like, like slashes Namor's back and like throws him off a platform as a universe is exploding but then he conveniently <laughs> he finds his way into like t- a team with Thanos and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> Secret Wars is going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of this kind of like in-depth talking about it because they're not going to adapt the Secret Wars yeah. that Matt and I love. But, no, but but they but the but the point is like I, I think it was a really juicy 
plot line to pull at of like this almost you know people didn't like avengers versus x-men but they did this really huge thing and then jonathan hickman as you said made it have consequence and then to have these two bordering each other and hating each other it was really dramatic and i think that is what propelled people to be like namor should be the next villain in a black panther movie and you know you you have dr doom to use um he also famously like hospitalized t'challa and there were rumors that he had been cast for the movie and cut or something i th- i think there is like like a picture or an image from a like abandoned post-credit scene yeah. of doom i'm sure it would just be it... like a guy in armor and no one's actually been cast kind of thing yeah but... i mean it would make sense considering the three great yeah. fictional locations in marvel are like atlantis it's wakanda and it's latveria yeah. are like the three the yeah. three kind of like ones that they play around obviously you've got stuff like the savage land and all the rest of it but in yeah. terms of like locations that are supposed to be like actual real world political yeah diplomatic places, community like, the whole the whole nine it's those three and yeah. so it makes sense to pair namor and black panther together they're both it, I mean, and also it allows them to play around with the theme that they introduced in the first Black Panther movie, which is the idea that Wakanda had been isolationist for too long, and yes. so because of because of them deciding to no longer be isolationist, isolationist, they have now opened up the borders and the the, the threat to people finding Atlantis at the same time as finding Wakanda, yeah. because the two are inextricably linked by the fact that they are two of the only places in the world that have vibranium. Yes, and I think that is obviously the Chadwick stuff. I think is really powerful and well handled, and like you know, to hit you with it right at the beginning of the goddamn movie of of, of his death off screen and the funeral. And we talked in the crossover episode of Superhero Pantheon that like I like how they are kind of in the same way the first movie starts with or doesn't quite start with, but basically starts with um, the ritual for like who's going to be king so that we know how it works, so that they can do it again later. They kind of mirror that with the funeral rituals here. But the thing that I think I like most about the movie is the way in which they use the Atlanteans. I mean, they they go with Talokan in this movie. No one says Atlantis, but functionally. Um, And it is is cool how they they took that very real-world mythology to, like imbue them with a little bit more cultural and and, uh, rather than being otherworldly they're like (laughs) like a real people but it's the way that they use the atlanteans to kind of hold up a mirror to what wakanda used to be and like namor is very much espousing the views of t'chaka and previous black panthers who were isolationists who would have been willing to kill a child to keep their place secret and it's like a nice like measuring stick of like how far have we come? And are we still a little bit like them? Or are we willing to push forward? And I, I think that is the stuff that really works for me. I, I yeah. love what they and, did with, with Namor and and, and Atlantis and, and his posturing and like, you know, he is courting them as an ally before they go to war with each other. <laughs> yeah, it, he's like, you, the life of one child, that's not really worth us going to war, is it? Like, he's coming <laughs> to them from an ally, but he's coming to them from a way of like, the greater good is is more important than kind of like individual lives and whatnot is, is his perspective on it. And so he's like, yeah, do this. We can continue to be kind of like silent allies. Yeah. We don't have to put our face forward. Wakanda just has to murder one person. Yeah. Um, and, and, but... and the movie like open, well, after that opening, you know, we, we have the consequences of T'Challa declaring Wakanda to the world, declaring vibranium to the world. Um, Ramonda is appearing before the UN and there has been an attack on a, on a Wakandan research lab and some unidentified mercenaries try to steal some some vibranium 
And of course, the Dora Milaje marched them into the UN and it's France. And uh, France objected to this writing in the movie. (laughs) Come on. And yeah, it's very much like, hey, don't fucking try us, basically. (laughs) I, I do think one of the big weaknesses is I do think not having T'Challa able to see his own measuring stick for how yeah. far Wakanda has come does impact the theme. Like, I agree, the themes are, like, really interesting and actually kind of, like, well-deployed in this, but I do think it feels like there's another movie that needs to happen in between this one mm-hmm. for it to be about Shuri. And so, again, it's just part of the impossible task that's put upon them. You almost where... needed Nakia to act as his voice because she was trying. she was the one that got in his head about that being the way forward in the first place. And yes. she doesn't show up for an hour because of plot, and you probably could have used her as his voice. Cause, yeah, because ultimately the thing is, like, Shuri and Ramonda are kind of almost feel like they're they're tempted to go back into the isolationist type thing, and it just it feels like there needs to be just a little bit more conflict mm. in in that overall theme. I don't like. Th- and this this whole UN scene was added late in reshoots. Like, Kugler watched a cut of the movie without it and said it sucked, basically. And I actually think it's quite strong, that this whole, like, they think they're being slick by coming after them, and then, oh, no, they've accounted for it. And then that obviously moves to America have come up with a vibranium detector. They have found it in the ocean. Wakanda are adamant there is no vibranium anywhere other than Wakanda. The Atlanteans come after this detector and the the oil rig or whatever you want to call it that they're working out of. Shout outs to Lake Bell, animated Poison Ivy, <laughs> getting, getting a quick roll. I like the way they deploy the Atlantean attack, like the sirens making people jump overboard. And, you know, I, I like the it, look and, and like trying to hide Namor for a brief moment kind of thing. Yeah, it's got like nice horror movie vibes. It yeah. is a shame that an awful lot of like the early fight scenes in this movie are all at night. And so There's the moment lot... the movie drops... Yeah, there's there a lot of scenes that are in almost pitch black. And, like, I think on the water it works because you're going for that vibe of, like, they're emerging from the depths and we don't know what we're dealing with and stuff. But when the conversation when Namor interrupts Shuri and Ramonda talking by the campfire, it's like, I can't see shit and not in a good way. <laughs> the moment this movie got dumped on Disney+, Plus, it got the immediate dunking that all of these movies get nowadays, where a bunch of, like, film Twitter people are just like, oh, this looks really bad. But in this case, it wasn't because of... Yeah. It wasn't, It wasn't like, a floating head from Thor, Love and Thunder. It wasn't the Florence Pugh green screen in Black Widow. It was purely, like, these nighttime scenes look bad. And But I think that's a... It's a larger problem kind of like in all of television where you've also got the Game of Thrones problem where there are episodes of that show which people can't watch yeah, entirely like and, they, and everything yeah yeah I think I think it's just as technology is getting better and there's a broader strain of like televisions out in the wild there is just harder and harder to make night scenes look I just we were doing good. this in, like this was happening in the 70s like there were there were good looking movies with scenes set at night time and like why can't we figure it out now like I, I don't know if it's striving for more realism and like oh we can make it actually dark instead of like clearly properly lit and it's like I'd rather you just lit it and just claimed the moon was yeah, really well, bright like, they or something used, they used to shoot day for night. I think they even shot day for night in in Nope. Like, there's a lot of those things that are yeah. shot with like lighting, and then they just dim it later. Something is rotten in terms of night shooting or yeah. like shooting things for <laughs> night at the moment, and I'm not sure what it is, but it is something that we would like to get fixed. Yeah. <laughs> so what we glossed over there is also that like you know there is a consequence to Killmonger's actions in the first movie. He burned all the heart shaped herb after he took his dose, and T'Challa got 
the one leaf that Ramonda smuggled out. So when he died, they have no heart-shaped herb, they have no Black Panther. The Dora are having to step up and, and protect the country, which they are adamant is enough for now, but I think they also know they are vulnerable, so that's leading to that feeling of they have to withdraw a bit. Shiri's been trying to make a synthetic version, but she was making it because it would have healed T'Challa, rather than, like, so that they could have a new Black Panther. I guess if we just go to that first scene when Namor steps out of the water and introduces himself, and, like, I love the line about, like, like, Ramonda's still adamant that there is no vibranium outside Wakanda, and Shiri's like, Mum, he's, like, covered in it. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and I love the costuming of, of, of Namor. You know, they keep faithful to the little green trunks and everything, but to cover him in this sort of Mayan-style jewellery, necklaces, earrings, all that kind of stuff, I think is a really cool look for him. His, like, nose ring, his, like, giant earring, all that stuff. Tenochueta as Namor is, like, really good casting. Obviously, they get a little bit cute with the the crediting and say introducing Tino Huerta as 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 Namor when he has been a a regular on a Netflix TV show for for several years and I think he's one of the leads in a more recent Purge movie so like getting a little bit cute getting a bit cute here but he is a really good find and like again when it's similar to Jonathan Majors where like Marvel are obviously laying something on the table with this character where they're like, this is someone who is going to be involved in multiple movies. Like, this is an introduction, but it is not the last time that we're going to see this character. This is not a situation where, like, we have a one-movie villain. This is someone who will be impacting the wider world of Marvel. And I think it was very important that they get this casting right, and I think they did. My one criticism is, not horny enough. (laughs) Well, that's kind of what I was actually going to say. Like, one of my worries was, like, yes, he's kind of fucked up looking, but, like, he's also supposed to be canonically, like, incredibly sexy and, like, just the horniest man alive. And I was like, I don't know if there's a human that can do, can pull this off. And I think they instead make him, like, he's very romantic. Like, you know, he's obviously a violent man who has, like, a very black and white view of the world as well. But, like, there is a kind of sad eyes, romantic person there instead. And, like, there are these rumours that, like, Shuri was going to sleep with him in Talokan, and I'm glad they took that out. <laughs> but, like, you can definitely see, like, as a bit of a vibe when he's showing her around Talokan with that I don't incredible think, yeah. song, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they needed to have them sleep together, but no. I definitely would have appreciated some more romance vibes between yeah. them. Where, like, again, it gives it gives a little bit more juice to their final fight if, like, it's going from maybe not... personal stakes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well. like, like, we've shared an emotional connection for yeah. something, and I feel like the movie doesn't quite get to that level I, th- I, when guess, I guess the movie is going for like she couldn't ever have any kind of feeling towards a man that is like here's my grand speech on why I should get to kill a teenage girl <laughs> yes <laughs> I think that's what they're going for and like people would judge her for that or something but no I mean it it's a great casting and like you know he put in a lot of work for this like learning Mayan language and didn't even know how to swim apparently <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> that's quite an important bit and I think uh, the underwater photography that they do and I'm sure some of it is fake and just CGI but like what elements they, uh, are underwater I think are well shot um, yeah they did like three plates I think where they had like dry rehearsal footage they had like footage of them under the water and then they had like a third one which was just like I think professionals doing it or like like stand-ins so they kind of like got to do the three levels of having it so like they've got wet for dry where they've got like 
suits on and harnesses that are able to like raise their hair and raise their limbs to look like they're floating actually yeah. shoot it underwater to kind of get a reference footage for that and then do it with people who can stay underwater for for minutes at a time to kind of <laughs> yeah. shoot stuff i think it all think looks really also, good i think they use a lot of the foot like a lot of the technology developed for avatar 2 and 3 because obviously right. those movies had mostly wrapped filming by the time that this one comes out yeah uh, big winter for as... big winter for water <laughs> <laughs> Big Winter 4. Originally, Aquaman 2 was going to be out in this yeah. corridor as well, which would have been crazy. And it's a very different take on Atlantis than Aquaman had. And I actually think, for whatever you want to say about Aquaman, I think they did a really good job with the underwater stuff, especially compared to Justice League and, and Snyder's take on what Atlantis should be like. I mean, they're basically just saying it's underwater and it's all just actually just, just all shot dry. But like, I think it looked good and it was really well lit is the difference whereas they're going here for like you know the ocean is deep and dark and scary and then oh here's this wonderful little mayan town where they're playing the origins of basketball and like they he's got an underwater sun and that they are focusing on children playing and merchants selling things which is stuff that they always focus on when they go to wakanda to make it feel like a real <laughs> fucking place rather yes. than just like people are meeting in rooms and here are some wide shots like yeah remember when in aquaman they kept on having to like do a spell to make the water disappear so they can yeah. have a conversation yeah well, <laughs> um it is funny because obviously wakanda still doesn't quite feel like just because like, obviously this movie they've built kind of a crossroads essentially isn't it it's kind of like a, a two streets that are parallel to it not parallel to each other that are kind of intercutting with each other yeah. that is kind of like the the main street footage of wakanda that we see in this that is not kind of at the foot of the the throne room because obviously you've got like again there's stuff along the riverbanks as well that they've built and it all looks nice but it does seem fake mm. but obviously like there's nowhere in the world that would double for wakanda so yeah. i understand why they I, had to do it on a set i think one of the best things tanahasi coates did with with his run on black panther was he made it feel like a country instead of a city because yes. For a long time, Wakanda meant the Golden City, which I, I, off the top of my head, can't remember what it's called, like, two Wakandans. Um, I think it begins with a B. But what they call the Golden City is basically all Marvel used to show. And you would get some, like, generic African sort of savannah-type bits as well. Yeah. But Coates made it feel like this is a full country with multiple cities and towns and villages, and there are many different diverse peoples. And I think that's what you're kind of getting with the like council of the five tribes kind of thing but we don't really know anything about but, most of them <laughs> yeah the only ones we go to see are the jabari yeah. in the mountains and so the, obviously it's such a completely different location that it's just like oh okay yeah. but it's hard to tell like are you further into the country are you actually like kind of also on the border because there's mountains around the border of this it's all yeah. like we have names to infer some stuff about like we have the river tribe and the border tribe and the jabari the mountain tribe i actually don't know the names of the other two but like the strength of both of these movies or one of them is the costuming is fantastic the the product mm -hmm. you know the set design like it even if they're not going to delve into the actual politics and maybe that's what the wakanda series that kugler is producing is going to be like like let's let's see what normal wakandans who aren't black panthers go through and get into the inner workings of the any conflicts between the tribes but as a visual stand-in you know you see people who are costumed similarly but not like identically and it, it I think it gives it that nice touch, like when they're all assembled. Yeah, it's more just a thing where, like, again, we spend all this time in Wakanda as a city. <laughs> yeah. like, anytime we go there, it's always this. But then, like, you look on a map and, like, they've obviously chosen this kind of, like, 
in Africa, there is uh, in between three countries or four countries, I believe, there's like a triangle of contested land, which is basically where they've put Wakanda yeah. in the world. And it, it's not a huge pot of land, essentially. No, so, like, I, would, I don't it, think it would it's... make sense for there to only be one hub city. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a shame that, like, whenever you go there, it's like, is Wakanda a city state, essentially? Yeah. yeah, I don't think Coates ever was trying to imply that it is, like, a giant nation, but, like, it did at least expand beyond the single city. Yeah. And I'd it's, like it's, to see them quite... try and do some of that. And, like, you know, we're hurt by things like Daniel Kaluuya is, is making Nope, so he is mentioned and not seen, and I would have loved a scene where Okoye visits him in prison or whatever, um, but we don't Yeah, that, that was the rumour, wasn't it? The rumour that was in the script, wasn't it? But, like, he just didn't have time to come, yeah. to come do it. A shame. I have to assume they could have forced him because he probably signed one of those like incredibly like binding contracts or whatever. I would um, imagine Kugel's like, no, no, for that, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not not forcing him to do something if we don't need him for the movie, yeah. even if it would have helped Okoye's kind of plotline in the movie. It, it's just again, it's more around. It feels like whenever we visit Wakanda, we're kind of in the suburbs as opposed yeah. to like the bustling city. And then yeah. whenever you get the scene of them moving Wakanda after they've been attacked by what what do, what do we refer to them as? What are they? <sighs> I mean, yeah, they're the, from the Talokan, but I don't know yeah, what so the, the people ta- are. <laughs> the, the, the ta- when the Talokans attack, obviously they fly like most of Wakanda up into the mountains. And it's like, that's an interesting idea to have like a completely yeah. dismantable city and kind of like, it's not actually like, is Vibranium so strong that you don't actually need well, foundations to a building? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. you don't need to strengthen the earth to be able to, to facilitate having a building because Vibranium will just do that for you. I'm you with just... you, Ben. Give me the 10 minute scene on city planning and, and, and like the civil <laughs> civic engineers of Wakanda explaining why you can collapse a city like this. I think Ta-Nehisi Coates would be able to write that very well. He writes Probably. very well about a, a vast swathe of like American politics, and I feel like I would love to see him do <laughs> a city planning type monologue. Let's have the Wakandan show be the wire, but for Wakanda. Yeah, exactly. Not, not about drugs, just about kind of like politicians and how different things work. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the reason Namor comes to them, as we said, the science—they've um, designed a machine that will find vibranium, which is thought to be impossible, but it works. And it was designed by one Riri Williams, aka Ironheart, who they have yes shoehorned into this movie, I taking it, us to know. America, forcing us to bring back Everett Ross and Val—long name, Valentina <laughs> Allegra de Fontaine. Matt, Thank come you. on, we've got a couple more projects which she's in. Contessa. <laughs> I don't hate this as much as you, but I do agree it is a kind of awkward fit and like it's I... screen time that could have gone to better places. I, I, I really it's... hate that there is such involvement from Martin Freeman and, and Julia uh, Dreyfus, but like, yeah. <laughs> Riri to me mm. is kind of a threefold problem because it's like when you hear that Riri's in this movie, I think everyone went like, oh, she's a student. At the school they set up at the end of Black Panther 1. Yeah, that, exactly. That, like, they literally found so much sense. an academy in Oakland, don't they? To honour where, you know, at the beginning of Black Panther, like, T'Chaka goes and murders <laughs> Killmonger's dad. And they found that academy. And yeah, like, that would make sense. She is a... They mentioned even in fucking, like, is it Civil War? That, like, they, they were sending people to... Oh, no, they, they weren't saying Wakanda, but, like, there were, like, students going to Africa to learn. It's kind of like, you know, would there be like a Wakandan scholarship program where Riri can come and 
learn in Wakanda or something, and instead yes, and, it's this and, and, awkward kidnapping plot. <laughs> yeah, it's like like there there was a logical, and obviously I understand in terms of it wouldn't make sense for the Wakandan school to have this person who then makes a vibranium detector yeah. wasp over the tutelage of Wakandans, presumably, at the yeah. scholarship program. <laughs> but it does mean that you kind of, like, you have the perfect setup, and then you kind of, like, swerve to the right, and now she has to go to MIT to kind of, like, have this involvement. And then the other part of it is, I think it's less egregious if they didn't announce and were filming simultaneously an Ironheart TV show. Mm-hmm. If it felt like organically Ironheart was going to be in this because of like, again, because I said that there was a perfect setup or because of this whatever reason, but the end of the movie is so like, and now we're putting you back into place where you can be in time for your TV series is going to hit Disney Plus coming 2024 or whatever. That to me is what makes it more egregious in, in a similar way to Everett K. Ross, even though it makes sense for him to be there more so than Valentina, but because Valentina again is like, here's my business. I'm setting up my future projects where I'm going to be the villain of them eventually. And it's kind of this the movie doesn't need it. Like, I'm not saying that Dominic Thorne or Dominic Thorne is like a bad presence. I actually think she's kind of fun in this. It's just yeah. the, the fact that like it feels like her time is taking away from the characters that we already knew and love and then she's also not going to have enough time to be developed because you've got a Disney Plus show that's going to do all of the groundwork for her. Going back to the fact that like by the end of the movie she's reset to, to point one where like she's made two Ironheart suits in this movie but there's going to have to be a third one by the time we get to the TV yeah. show and it's like, okay come on guys, like I, you don't need to set up things like this yeah. like I would rather it be it feel like every character had an organic beginning middle and end within the movie and i understand like there are people who think that marvel have never done this that they're always setting up future projects but like it's this feels different in a way i I think and i think because it is the disney plus of it all yeah i still kind of think that she should have been introduced via a special rather than you know you give me a good pitch you give me a good like they've done stuff with things that i didn't think were like fertile ground and made them good before but like I'm just really hesitant on their vision of Riri, and like I think it could have been a like forty-minute Disney Plus special thing. But yeah, like so this takes us to America. We get our like inferior version of the Ops chase from Hong Kong, basically. (laughs) And like the soundtrack in general, like it isn't that like immediate wall-to-wall bangers thing that that first one was, but it did grow on me. And I, 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 some of that is probably some form of xenophobia where like they have deliberately gone for a more international flair. So like we have artists I don't know. We also have, you know, like Burner Boy and, and, and Rihanna for fuck's sake. Yeah. I think it is a nice, Wait, who? (laughs) that scene is like fine. It's not as good, but then we do get our confrontation with fucking Atuma and, and Namora you know, kicking Okoye's ass and Shuri is like, take me as well. So the the whole thing here, like I've said many times, I wish they had cut, basically, just remove Everett Ross, etc. from this fucking movie and give me scenes where Atuma and Nomura get to have characters because yes. I like their visual design and Atuma is kind of Namor's frenemy nemesis in the comics and Nomura is his cousin. Yes. They give her a name in this fucking movie, and they never explain that. As I mean, I know, but like, if <laughs> you're watching this movie, you're like, oh, so he's no more and she's no more. That's a bit weird. But th- I feel there yeah. should have been some palace intrigue with the Atlanteans. Like, there really should have been. Like, this feels like, and I, I hate to bring up this movie as a comparison point for it, but Iron Man Two. It feels like you need to have some time, which is just the villains 
quote unquote villains kind of like having time together because I think that's where a lot of our affection for Iron Man 2 and yeah. some of the performances in that movie comes from is the fact that the movie has the forethought to kind of like cut away and then do maybe it's a little bit more jokey but like still give depth or give like characterization to the supporting yeah. villain characters having Sam in- Rockwell talk to Mickey Rourke and, and, and things like that and what I wanted from Moon Knight where I wanted Ethan Hawke to be talking to yeah, you know, like cop buddies or whatever. Yeah, or, or like the Raoul Bushman character, like if he had been yeah. in the fucking thing. Just like let people talk to each other. And like you have a little bit of it in Ragnarok with Hela explaining her plan. Yeah, you have a bit of that there. But yeah, I, I like what they develop with Atuma and Okoye developing this rivalry that is largely physical and just them dueling each other one on one. I don't think we have enough one on one fights in Marvel. I think if you shoot them well, it can be really strong. You see some of that in Shang-Chi. You know, even though Atuma doesn't really get to talk, he does get this ongoing rivalry with Okoye, and they beat her, basically, and off they fuck on a whale <laughs> in, in, like, the Boston Harbour. Fuck it. And then, yeah, we are forced to spend an awful lot of time with Martin Freeman, etc. I don't know if he was, like owed some you know if we make a sequel you get to be in it type deal and there's also this thing where like Val has been in a dozen things but there is a very real chance that the movie audience have never seen her before and they want her to be important so let's pick our biggest most exciting movie and force her into it and drop the bombshell that well (laughs) bombshell (laughs) that's doing a lot of work there but yeah they used to be married and she's the head of the CIA now and he is helping the Wakandans because he's friends with them and this all culminates in his arrest by the end of the movie and then they break him out in a completely nothing scene that doesn't set up anything IMO um, but it well, just because we we know that Freeman is in secret of secret invasion like he's he's one of the many people on earth who's in that and it's like well does yeah. that mean that Val's in secret invasion now as well Probably. is that we're still at this point where secret invasion is such a mystery but it's like as you say like it doesn't feel like it's setting anything up there's nothing in this scene that would imply that the next time we're going to see everett k ross will be kind of like in six months time he's going to be one of the leads in your in your samuel l jackson tv show but like i just every time we cut from wakanda or talokan to fucking everett ross i'm just like (laughs) this is time that could have gone elsewhere it doesn't really feel that consequential plot wise really like there are writing paths to the same destination that don't have to involve him but i guess this is the mcuification of like you must have these two characters maybe it'll all pay off in the end and ever k ross is also going to be in the thunderbolts and in captain <laughs> america 4 and stuff like that but like maybe. we don't know because again um, there's this kind of aimless setting up of projects or like introducing characters that will do things in the future and i'm yeah. glad that this movie managed to like have a runtime to be able to service its already existing characters as well as it did but it as i said at the beginning like i'm glad this movie is almost three hours long because Mm. the things that might be cut are the stuff that like that we like as opposed to the stuff that we don't like like again we've replaced this with more time with a tumor and namora and you probably have like a, a, a more interesting movie or a more wholly successful movie if this movie had there's devoted more time to because again like black panther one you've got claw and killmonger kind of like running rampant for quite a bit and this yeah. movie has only really got name more and then a lot of the time that would have been devoted to those other characters is taken up by val and by yeah. everett and yeah by... like he doesn't have a general to talk to really like his all of his second and third and like 
everyone but him is basically mute. It's not actually, they do talk, but like, they're not characters, really. Obviously, that is kind of also a weakness, or not a weakness, it's kind of a, a necessary evil when yeah. you probably have the MCU movie, or MCU original movie, with the most wholly successful cast to begin with. Yeah. Like, obviously, this movie does feel like there's some drift by losing Chadwick. There's, it's, like, it's kind, kind of, of like, it's done by ensemble rather than that one binding force, I think. Um, yeah. You know, there I, is... I, I disagree with Letitia Wright's real-world views, but she is good in the movie, but she's not as good as you... I don't think she's as good as... You would need her to be to, like, completely fill that role, and that will exactly. come up towards the end of this podcast. But do you know who is fucking good in it? Probable Oscar-winning actress Angela Bassett, who makes her second of... Well, no, this is the big one, isn't it? I have lost everything as Okoye stands before her and every time she stands up and raises her voice and says she's lost everything, I get the fucking chills. So fucking good. Like, she's great in the UN scene and she's great talking to Namor and and everything, but, like, yeah, this is the one where I think if when she wins that Oscar... I assume they show short clips when they're saying who's who's up for it i assume this is the clip you use i'm temp- do i watch to find to confirm this for you i know it's one of those we're recording this the day before the oscars but oh we'll the know day before not. jesus okay yeah. we will know whether or not she has an oscar by the time this episode it's out i mean we'll just do we- the simpsons thing where we cover our mouths when it's said so we can add it in post later well, <laughs> they did their super like, bowl boy, i'm so happy that yeah. One. <laughs> Man, Angela Bassett was robbed or did well to win. It's a supporting actress is such a wide open field this year because it's like you've got Stephanie Sue, you've got my favorite performance in that category is Kerry Condon from Banshees of Inisherin. Mm, she is good. But like, yeah, it's just, especially in the light of what's happened this year in terms of black actresses being snubbed for nominations over people who know everyone from white women in Hollywood, it feels like you probably do need to give at least one award to a person of colour this year. And I feel like as much as people love Jamie Lee Curtis, I do think it's the wrong thing to do this year to do a career Oscar for her rather than Angela Bassett. Yeah. But no, she's incredible in this scene telling Okoye she failed and she's lost you know her husband is dead her son is dead her daughter is probably dead now and she's lost everything Okoye dropping to her knees and begging and crying I think Okoye's storyline in this movie is really good and like I think that's another consequence of losing Chadwick that like you have to have these people step up and I think the peripheral characters absolutely did it um because like Angela Bassett's role in the first movie pretty small Okoye, like, I think she's doing more here, and they even cut quite a lot of Okoye scenes where, like, there's one where she's planning to go and rescue Shuri anyway, and the Dora Milaje, like, basically hold her at spear point and are like, don't you fucking dare get on a ship. And then later, the Border Tribe leader encourages her to go for Queen in the wake of Ramonda's death and stuff like that, and I think is her husband is Border Tribe, I think. Yes. So I guess it's through that. And they never really establish... I mean, the Dora Milaje have to come from somewhere, but she's very proudly... Her whole identity is the Dora, basically, and, and all she is is protecting the throne, and she even thinks of the Queen as her mother, and it's just such a powerful scene, and, like, that Okoye's lost everything and is on this path of redemption. I think all that works so, so well. Instead, Ramonda goes and <laughs> bothers uh, Nakia for the first time in the movie who has a school in Haiti, and 
speaks every fucking language in the world because she can go and just speak this Mayan dialect to try and find... She's chasing the legend of Namor and basically we're kind of around the same time getting the exposition from Namor about how in this universe the Atlanteans came to be. Basically a second meteorite of Vibranium fell into the water, an underwater version of the heart-shaped herb. You know, different soil, different conditions leads to different powers. So when the uh, what become the Talokans drink from it, they get blue skin and have to live in the water. And Namor was in the womb and thus mutated and can walk on land. And they get very cute with their origin of how he got his name with the Namor, no love kind of thing, which I believe is incorrect Spanish, but hey. <laughs> I mean, you have to do things. It's similar you have to, to do like the, when, when Game of Thrones did the Hodor reveal and all the rest yeah. of it. I still think it's a cute moment. Like when they did it, I was like, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Nakia eventually does rescue Shiri and Riri. And in, the, and in this case, it, it's kind of Wakanda that initiates war because yeah. Nakia murders it's one of those things where like because it's shot in such a way i was kind of like, oh it's just a sonic weapon like and she's like no aspect. she's dead from this range i'm like oh okay <laughs> kind of seems like a sonic weapon would be about stunning things but never mind yeah i think that's the kind of the weakness of the scene is that they have to put in dialogue that like we have murdered someone we should leave she's not like, allowed okay. to shoot a real bullet from a real gun or our age rating goes up but she killed her basically yes <laughs> and namor had already warned ramonda that like because she tries to like I'll tell America about you. And he's like, if you do that, I'll kill her and then I'll kill you. And he would have done that if not for the fact that Shiri is gone when he gets back. And they launch war on Wakanda and they kick their asses, basically. And Namor kills Ramonda. Well, Ramonda dies saving Riri, basically. And they're yes, both... and that's kind of like why Riri is here. But it is yeah. like, it's this kind of moment of like Wakanda embracing its position and like, again, prioritizing the life of the the life of the the few in exchange yeah. for kind of like this this wider thing again he's getting into the thematic stuff of the movie i just yeah. wish riri had been inserted know, more completely we I do know. need to discuss one thing though what's that how cool are the water grenades very cool i like water grenades for sure they use them all throughout the movie and they're always cool <laughs> I, every single time it happens i'm just like it, yeah. you just like inserted so much water into this pressurized thing but <laughs> every time they happen there's so much science better. bitch <laughs> genuinely like my favorite thing from this movie like when because what namor punches the window and then he throws like five of he them. makes a crack in it, like... and then yeah he throws a like bushel of water grenades and just floods the, the throne room and shatters and yeah she like falls through to a sub level and drowns basically but um yeah and the, the grenades that also goes a long way towards like making them feel like a distinct people like they have their own armaments even though they share a technology and everything and they take all the you know they use all the tricks to make namor look cool as hell a ship comes overhead and is shooting at everyone and he stays completely still while his men are ducking for cover and he's like they did sadly cgi his package down they low. did i remember this he has his giant dong and they cg'd it to be uh more reasonable <laughs> more reasonable <laughs> what do we think about like him the the, the way that they depict the flying feet because obviously i like kind it. of to like skip up through yeah, the air like i like that effect steps. that that shot that they put in the trailers and it's it's in this attack on wakanda where he's like a hop skip and a jump and now he's flying kind of thing but then they will also do loads of instances of him just hovering in the air and i think that looks badass as well 
But no, they, they do a really good job of making him seem like a fucking monstrous threat where he swims at such incredible speed, he can fly, he's superhumanly strong and durable and everything. It's like, how do you beat this fucker? So they have to invent a weakness for him at the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this entire this entire sequence is good. Like, obviously yeah. you get to do things like M'Baku comes in and goes like, <laughs> I'm going to fight Namor, but he gets punched. And then they do that slow motion shot of like the fist breaking the armor. Obviously, I, I assume there's like a vibranium plate underneath and it's not entirely made of wood yeah you're like is he dead no okay cool fine some of the shots of like where you can tell it's a covid movie i mean a lot of the movie is like there's never more than two people together on on the screen um and there's like a scene where umbaku and his people are like jumping off a plat uh, off like a, a road above or something it's like this is so clearly like a green screen thing and but no, overall, I like it as a scene. Like Wakanda, like so cocky, they can defend against everything. And Namor makes the threat early. I have more soldiers than you have blades of grass, which is the kind of you know poetic writing I'm always a sucker for. And he kind of proves it. Like you know, they just are too much for them. And then he chooses to withdraw. You know, he kills Ramonda, tells Shuri she's queen, and he's coming back in a week. Basically, it's like, mm, yeah. couldn't you just kill them all now? <laughs> like... Yeah. And then the movie kind of transitions into kind of twenty minutes, half an hour worth of like science noodling. Kind of like let's do all the things that we need to do to kind of like set things up. So Riri gets to make uh, like vibranium iron heart armor, yeah. and Shuri is kind of working on creating a new heart shaped herb. Using uh, a bracelet that Namor gifted her, that of course has strands of the heart-shaped herb um or their their version of the heart-shaped herb yeah, so she yeah, can kind yeah, of yeah. combine the two of them together and yeah. okoye who's been stripped of the dora milaje no she's yeah. she's voluntarily stepped down as dora milaje because she's lost or she was the, one of the reasons why ramonda has died mm-hmm. but then shuri gives her the midnight angel's so, armor yeah we gotta talk about this so shuri had been working on the midnight angel's armor which in the comics belonged to ao and Aneka. And Aneka is played by Michaela Cole, who, when they announced she joined this movie, that was very exciting. She is a wonderful human being, a great creator. I think some of her she scenes must get... have been cut because they talked there a big like game no about scenes. her and she's barely in the fucking thing. But Aneka and Ao are lovers. And yes. there is the briefest moment of physical affection between them in this movie. But given how close they all are as, like, a sisterhood and, like, just a sort of quasi-enormous family, you could be forgiven for not knowing these two are meant to be romantically linked. And instead, Okoye and Aneka suit up as the Midnight Angels, and Ao kind of takes Okoye's position as head of the Dora. And I get why you did it. Okoye represents, like, the last bastion of tradition, and Shuri is pushing for, please wear a flying suit filled with energy weapons and shit and she's like this is an abomination <laughs> so for her to come around on it but i'm also like what if all three of them had them or something <laughs> yeah um, but i, I mean, guess you need a dora like a figurehead of the dora to remain but it just kind of sucks and it's again marvel being cowards while giving lip service to serving queer relationships because yeah there's there's nothing here like, yeah, <laughs> i do i do think michaela cole gets to put her own stamp on it she's a fun addition who i'd be happy yeah. to see come back at some point like mm-hmm. i do like her little bit around when she's got like the little knives instead of the spear and okoye is kind of like dressing her down and going like why have you done this yeah, yeah, yeah. but like um, she said that one of the things that made her sign up to play the character was that it was a queer woman and like you've basically taken all of that out and it's, it feels very similar to like Tessa Thompson talking a big game about Valkyrie being 
bisexual, and then like all of that was basically neutered for Ragnarok. Yeah, I know. Um, they, they, you have to assume they probably shoot this stuff, and then there's probably some kind of like yeah. corporate mandate where they're like, "We're already going to be losing money in foreign countries <laughs> because of the fact that this is a majority black cast. Yeah. We cannot have it be black with also physical affection." Because like, yeah. she does go visit. I don't. They like say that Aneka and Io live together yeah, as well. Yeah, like, like, there is the, the briefest like, of moments that like sort of tell, not show. I just they're just cowards for it though, like, and it's no, also kind of a side effect of Ao has never really blossomed as her own character. Like, obviously she appeared before Okoye in Civil War, and she's the one that wants to fight Natasha, and she is the one that is in Falcon and Winter Soldier and stuff. But like, I don't think they've given her enough of a personality other than she's another Dora, and you know, Aneka has some sense of, like, rebelliousness and, and everything, but Ao is just not a strong personality. Um, no, very happy for Florence Kasumba, though, because yeah. obviously she is, like, a, literally a cameo credited as the security chief in Civil War. Oh. For her to get to the point where, like, <laughs> to get to the point where she's getting single-card billing in this movie is, yeah. is really nice, and I hope that like, obviously the rumour is that this Disney Plus TV show will be centred on the Dora. Yeah, and like a big subplot of, of Coates' run was these Midnight Angels are sort of starting a little bit of a, you could call it a rebel uprising. There's basically beef with how Wakanda's being run and some people are like anti-T'Challa and these two go on the run as runaway Doras in their Midnight Angels costumes and yeah, be gay, do crime, basically. And yeah, it would be nice if they got into some of this. Like, what does the political fallout of all this mean? Is M'Baku king? And we'll get to that. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, so like, Okoye is, is suited up as a Midnight Angel. They're all preparing for war. We have our cool music playing. We have the meeting in the mountains. We have M'Baku saying that they refer to Namor as uh, Kuku... Oh, God. I'm not going to say it. Go on. As a feathered Go on. serpent god. And I just, I fucking love them drawing on that as well. Like a real world mythological figure is how they talk about Namor. And he has a like serpent crown when they're preparing for war and everything. Love all of that. And then inevitably, as we all guessed would happen, Shiri does perfect the heart-shaped herb and becomes the new Black Panther with her sort of gold suit. I don't like it as much. Like between having to make her skinnier and like using more CG, it just doesn't look as imposing as T'Challa's. And I know I'm skipping over a quite major cameo here to talk about this, but just, yeah, I didn't really enjoy what they did with this new Black Panther suit and the fight scenes they do with it, really. I feel like, I mean, I feel like the whole point would have been, should she have taken, like, Killmonger's suit or something and kind of, like, yeah. I mean, refitted I, that one? I interpreted the, because he went with the gold over the purple kind of thing, and, and hers is gold too, and yeah, so, again, there were rumours they would get Michael B. Jordan back as, you know, they have the ancestral plane where you can talk to people, and yeah, obviously this probably would have been T'Challa talking to Killmonger, but instead we have Shuri talking to Killmonger, and I love how it's shot, like, it's the same, it's the throne room where Ramonda died, and he is sitting in the middle on the sort of flaming throne kind of thing. And yeah, they have a nice little conversation. Good of him to come back and put on all of the chest prosthetics when they could have had him just wear a fucking shirt. It felt inevitable, but also it was kind of like, cool, here he is. I was wary of them to bring him back in any form because I feel he had a complete arc. And maybe he shouldn't have even like, been here, but... I feel like it, it it puts a nice cap on the character. And obviously, like, Michael B. Jordan's obviously, like, a huge, huge sport. He's a huge nerd. He probably loved doing this. And, and <laughs> I mean... 
real talk, he probably should have had an Oscar nomination for what he did yeah. in the first Black Panther movie. It's good that kind of obviously up to this point, the only actors who have ever broken through for comic book movies are are Joker actors. Um, <laughs> so it's nice to finally have someone break through from the MCU. But it is just one of those like weird things where it's like, okay, let's yeah. we're we're now getting back to kind of like the meat of like someone who gave an incredibly winning performance in yeah. that first movie who yeah. was also un un cruelly kind of like looked over. Yeah, and yeah, so the reason they're talking is like when you take Heart Shape Herb, you have to have your little vision quest. She's expecting to talk to her mother or her brother, and he is like, you chose to talk to me because you want violent, bloody vengeance, and that's what I'm all about. And she is denying that, and I think that's a really good theme to play on because grief is powerful, and, you know, she's at this crossroads of, like, threatening to slip back into the more violent ancestral version of Wakanda and take them back into isolationism, and she obviously does ultimately choose to push for peace. And I can see how it's a difficult thing for people to accept that they go from trying to absolutely slaughter each other to, like, okay, let's be buds. But, yeah, good little scene, and, you know, dropping her in out of the sky is cool. They go to war, and, I don't know, it's fine, the, this final yeah, sequence. Like, I think I like yeah, it better that's... than the rhinos and the and the vibranium mine, but it still isn't a banger of a, of a final action set piece. No, it's too much going on on too many levels. I like the stuff with Namor and Shuri when mm. they're trying to, like, get to the location, but when they're finally on the beach, it's kind of like, this yeah. feels like it needed more emotional heft between these two to kind of get to this point, which is why I'm kind of on the side of, like, they should have had something a bit more romantic, where it's, yeah. like, going against now that there's no one around, let's, let me make an impassioned emotional plea. Yeah, I can't exactly. admit we... to anyone that we're in love, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do get Imperious Rex. Yes, uh, we do. Really happy about that. His dumbass catchphrase. Um, <laughs> they bring it in. Because they identify that, yeah, if you dry him out, he's got no powers. And I'm like, mm, I dispute this, but fine. <laughs> he, you have made him like even more monstrously powerful than he is in the comics, so fair enough. I yeah, like it, the Ironheart just... suit. I like that Okoye gets to finally beat Atuma. I like some I of the... I don't like Ironheart's face. Okay. I mean, I you've got to make it look different than just she's in an Iron Man armor. Um, no, I know. It's, but it's also weird to have her in this when it's not reacting to Iron Man, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. it feels weird. To debut she's... it here, they're like, oh, she's got an Iron Man suit and shit like that. But there's no explicit, like, yeah, I like what he did and I thought I could do that too kind of thing. And, like, it's always it's going to be awkward for her to be, like, idolizing a white rich dude. But, but it's we'll almost see. like she should like she shouldn't have access to this kind of stuff, and then she makes it because she's basing it off of Wakandan technology, like, and so gets to make like maybe she's the one who develops the Midnight Angels. Like, there's just something yeah, maybe. missing from the conception of this where you kind of need to go back to the drawing board about who Riri, Riri Williams is for this. Yeah, that could and... be cool if she developed the Midnight Angels and then she just wanted to spray paint her one red hot rod red for her dad or whatever or her uncle. I can't remember what they go with, but yeah, it, like again, it, it, there's a little bit more meat there. It ties it more into her being based or like taking inspiration from Wakandan stuff as opposed to in the comics this is very obviously a character who takes over for Iron Man yes. in, in the comics for a while <laughs> which which this person will or Riri will never do in the movies like no. that is Spider-Man's role at this point yes, unfortunately although I assume it's uh, still going to be like um, Rhodes approaches her, has footage of her operating this, and is like, Tony left a scholarship for blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. Who knows? What, what do we think about kind of like how the fight kind of ends between Shuri and, and Namor? Where it's like... I was so worried she was going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, you know, obviously. They, they have a very 
portray you know it's a short fight i guess you can't just claim that she's instantly a martial artist when he sort of has been training at it for a long time and if she just stepped in and was instantly a she has to do the traditional superhero thing that we all superheroes have to do ever since Spider-Man lifted the the wreckage <laughs> up off himself. Is like you have to pull yourself off of this, yeah, yeah. pull off the spear, and then set off the explosion that will burn Namor's back and allow well, you. Well, she kind sets of like... off. Doesn't she make the ship's thrusters fire? And it's like yes. at that range, it's basically fire, and then his entire back is cooked, and it's like surely he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> but no, she she lets him live and but yeah, well, like they let him live and then they... she tells him to yield and he does reluctantly do it and then they rock up and end the conflict. I should very quickly say I like that she incorporated her little panther cannons that she had in the first movie into her suit and they like form on her hands and then go away. I like that as a piece of continuity about her powers. But yeah, yeah. It, it's it's weird for Namor to give up so easily. And then obviously kind the of, end credits kind of like hint that like they're not happy with him for it. <laughs> yeah. Like there, there's something cooking here. And obviously like again, Tinoch is gonna come back at some point. Yeah. I think he's not officially but like rumored to be signing up for Kang Dynasty. So who knows what that movie's gonna look like, but obviously <laughs> another piece of them setting up future movies and it would make sense for him to slot in there i guess than anything Mm. else but but again this is um, where like namora confronting him about this means more if we've seen her and atuma kind of whispering behind his back a lot more earlier in the movie but it's as close as they get and like it's a difficult position to put him in because i could there are a crowd of people who are gonna be like he looks weak as shit now like he got beaten he surrendered he wants to be their friend he murdered their queen and he wants to be buds kind of thing. But And but he's sort is, of I'm, cowering be... in his cloak and painting on the wall and stuff. Yeah, I'd be worried if he would kind of like show up in Kang Dynasty and then Kang beats him in two seconds to kind of like yeah. reinforce how strong a Kang is. It feels like that's the, the lazy way to go about it. I uh, would in like a lot of ways. to try and hold off on him until Fantastic Four, really, but or even a sequel, but you know, I I'm, I assume they're treating these two Avengers movies exactly like the last two. Everybody we've got under contract will appear, even if for five seconds, and it might look like shit, but never mind. I, I am sad. Rachel Morrison obviously was the cinematographer. Speaking of things looking a little bit worse, like Rachel Morrison <laughs> did the cinematography on the first movie. Uh, this movie, it's Autumn Cheyenne Darald Arkpour, who has done some interesting stuff in her career. Like she was the cinematography for for Loki, and then directed the Lift Me Up video with rihanna and all the rest of it but like uh-huh. rachel morrison is kind of in a different world where I think, like, like she's... all the beach scenes look good like the daylight ones at least i think that stuff looks really and like the final scene which we're about to get to i think that's well shot. yeah i think like, the stuff that's using natural light i think it's a lot yeah. more interesting yeah. than, than other bits and pieces but the it's just this movie definitely is oh, less... it's not like visually in as it's not as visually interesting when it's not about costume design as the first yes. one is and yeah, just... and obviously, like part of that is Rachel Morrison's obviously now firmly in the Disney Disney group. She's now a director. She's done an episode of The Mandalorian. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I, the the trajectory that a lot of cinematographers take, where they kind of like give up cinematography to go on to be directors, which sometimes works out, sometimes doesn't. I feel like, uh, but... given how many people move off things to work on Mandalorian. One day I'm going to have to actually <laughs> fucking watch that show. I really, I found the first two episodes really fucking boring, but maybe it gets better. But it might just be like the corner of Star Wars I just simply do not care about. I have not watched any Star Wars since Rise of Skywalker came out. Yeah. I mean, and I fucking I know... loved Andor, but yeah, Mando just did not do it for me when I checked it out. I want to watch Visions. Like, that's the kind of project that's up my alley. Like, animation-driven and creator-driven. 
but yeah, it, yeah. it does. <laughs> in some ways, it feels like the Mandalorian. Like when you look at the directors who've done it, and you've got like John Favreau, Peyton Reed, Bryce Dallas Howard, Carl Weathers, Robert Rodriguez, Rachel Morrison, Lee Isaac Chung, yeah. Peter Ramsey. Tyker's done an episode. It's that like does was this sound just, interesting. <laughs> was this just an excuse for you guys to like do something during COVID? Because like mm, you're doing it all on the volume. Yeah. But yeah, so we end with, oh god, so yeah, no more retreats, and Ross is arrested and then rescued, which presumably will set up Secret Invasion, and they assume that Shiri, because she's Black Panther, will take the throne, but M'Baku steps up to that, like, that set from the first film, and we don't know where that goes. As I said, there is a deleted scene where Okoye is pushed to challenge as well. We'll see. Do they? Is it like? Does it end with the cliffhanger of them about to fight? Or no, 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 no. It's literally. It, it's much before that. I think it's supposed to have slotted in between Ramonda's death and them preparing the war, like the for the battle. It's just her walking with the leader of the border tribe and him saying, "I think we should have a ceremony, and I think you should put yourself forward." And she's like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, you're like the most popular person in Wakanda." So. <laughs> I don't know. It's not, like, incredible or anything. It's just like, oh, that's an interesting wrinkle. But, yeah, and Riri has to give leave the armor and go back home, and... Yeah, she's got to go hang out with the hood in her TV show that will launch <laughs> at some undistinguished point on Disney+. Plus. So the biggest bombshell is that the reason Nakia has not been around is that she and T'Challa had a son. And he is T'Challa Jr., and uh, yeah, while while Shiri is finally performing the like funeral rite that she had been putting off doing, yeah, Nakia approaches her with her son, and yeah, here we have T'Challa Junior. And again, I don't know what they'll do with it, but like, I just have this theory that like with all these kids they've assembled, we'll get like here are adult versions of all those kids that you all definitely remember from all the projects you've definitely watched at some point. Like, yeah, if- you're kind of. You're shoring up a lot of this stuff. You don't have to use these kids that you've cast in this role again. You can kind of, like, wait the five, ten years and go, like, cool, and now we've got here's (laughs) T'Challa as the new Black Panther, and here we've got, like, Teddy and Billy, but, like, grown-ups we can actually do Speed and um, Wiccan. Yeah, we could do a bullshit, like, it's 30 years later and Earth is under Kang rule, but here's a little Avenger group made of all the kids that we've met over the last, sort of, over Phase 4, really. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it obviously does have, like, potential plot ramifications, but I like that it's more emotional, that, like, you know, here is, your family went from, your family basically vanished, and now you have more family kind of thing. I like that as a... No, I, th- I think you can tell from the way this conversation has gone that this movie is a mess. It's big and sprawling, but the mm. things that it does really well are like the emotional beats. Yeah. Performances are all still good. Yeah. It's just, it's dragged down by a lot of the stuff that yeah. kind of we've talked about over the course of the miniseries. But I feel like because Ryan Coogler is actually good at his job and is actually kind of like thinking about things on a, on a higher level than a lot of yeah. the Marvel creatives they kind of had recently, it manages to kind of like get by. It doesn't I, wholly I, succeed. I think but... it's dragged down from great to good by those yeah. little things nipping at its heels. I think there is a great movie in here. Still probably not as good as Black Panther 1, but like there is something there that like if you take all these elements further, I could see this being a like top 8, top 7 type movie for them i can't remember where i put it i think something like 11th or 12th which is much higher than i think everyone else put it on our yeah i mean that's that's kind of about where i'm at on it as well it's kind of like 
14th or something so it's like good movie top half yeah. knocking on the door of the top 10 for me but i can't quite in good faith say it is top 10 with all this shit going on do we think they even try to do a black panther 3 at this point because obviously this movie has made like half the amount of money that the first movie yeah, made i think so i think with this is the most critically success i mean for, in awards shouldn't matter but kugler has gotten them their first best picture nomination he's gotten their first acting nomination we have a great little cast of excellent performers whose stories still have room. Maybe they'll use the series as like a, a testing ground of where they want to take narrative things. Yeah, like I, I, I don't expect he... Shuri to be in that. I don't even really expect potentially Mbaku to be in that, but maybe he is. But we can flesh out Wakanda a bit and see what we want to do. Like I assume Shuri, like there's all these rumors of like this is what the Avengers team is now, and it's Shuri as Black Panther on the Avengers. I assume they do a Black Panther 3, even if it's like they take a good long rest before they do it. Yeah, I want Kugler to go away and do something smaller. Yeah. Because it's like, obviously Michael B. Jordan directed Creed 3, but I think doing something even on that scale, still mm. on a franchise, would kind of like reset him a little bit from being in the Marvel world. Yeah. And especially when you think about how promising his career was before, and I'm not even a fan of Fruit Frustration. I think the movie's a bit too uh, emotionally manipulative in the way that it kind of tells its story. Yeah. But, like, I mean, Fruitvale Station Creed into Black Panther, he definitely kind of had some trajectory going on there, and I kind what of... What would you think about Michael B. Jordan directing a third Black Panther movie, with Kugler still, like, creatively involved, but, like, I've done my directing I... and I'm spent kind of thing? I've not seen Creed 3 yet, so I can't say what it is. Obviously, a lot of people either. have said, like, it's it's massively anime influence. I think me and <laughs> my partner are planning on doing, like, a Creed watch at some point, because it's still going to hang around the box office, because, like, not much is out at this point, but we'll see see if we get to it because it's like think, getting to that time of year i think everyone is saying better than two but not as good as one which uh, would yeah, make sense that's, <laughs> yeah that's about kind of like where i imagine it would end up being so yeah. i i don't think i'm like turned off by that idea to, yeah to, i mean i'm not saying like oh hey let's have this bold new visionary director it just it feels narratively nice to like have this yeah. breakout performance and then a cameo, and then he's, like, helming the fucking thing. Because, like, well, I guess the problem is he isn't actually that close with the cast because he deliberately, like, kept himself separate from them. But it, it just would feel quite nice to me. But yeah, and, maybe and that's just I me have being to... a bit too wanky romantic about it. But... I would <laughs> only be interested, I think, if I knew that kind of Kugler was involved in the script or, like, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. script was still going to be, like, I... sold up. If it was, like, the Rick and Morty writers doing Black Panther <laughs> 3, I think I'd be like, no, throw it in the bin. Do well, not, that, that's do the not thing. I was, what I was going to get at was I don't think anyone but Kugler should be driving the creative vision of this corner of Marvel. Even if he stops directing, he needs to be, like, a key creator. But we mentioned a minute ago, or you did, that, like, the performances are still on point and... It is time for All Marvel. This is where we are selecting basically one performance per project and saying these are the best performances in, in all of the MCU. If no one is any good, we save one and we can have two from the same one. If someone's already on and then they come up again and they're better, we keep them but just change which thing we're attributing them to. So we should say, I think Black Panther 1 is the thing with the most people currently on the list or maybe it's tied with Avengers because we put... We gave Michael B. Jordan, Danai Guerrera, and Chadwick Boseman. Yes, so three. All, all three. I think we gave some... three for Avengers, yeah. but Tom Hiddleston already had it for Thor. So it was kind of one of those ones sure. where like, we were just subbing him in for someone else. So, so he... obviously, Boseman can't compete with himself. I think it goes without saying that while it's nice to see Michael B. Jordan back, it's not anything close to what he did the first time. 
I would probably like to push for Danai Guerrero's credit to move to this. I think the emotional story here is probably a little bit stronger than her kind of quasi-comedic one in the first. Oh, am no. I on? Am I on board for this one? I'm not dying on a hill for this opinion. No, no. I'm just obviously... sort of like my instinct is she's getting a more emotional storyline and getting to show a little bit more acting range. Like she's still doing her comedy stuff when they go to America, and she's like had to put makeup on her head tattoos, and she's sneaking around and threatening. She is. I just. I think there is and... less time, and I think there is more there because we get the stuff with her husband that also helps benefit. True. Her. Like, like there is, there is, like she, there more of a kind of like circle to her arc in that movie. Where Whereas this movie, again, you've got the stuff where like she's she dons the Midnight Angels armor, but mm. it doesn't feel like it's kind of like fully that robs her of some like emotionality though. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't fully like square the circle of what her emotional plot in this okay. one was. I feel like Black Panther one again, again, because I, I really like that final moment between the two of them where she Absolutely. stops the rhino charging. My love, my love. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I I think it bears discussion, but yes. I'm not I'm not like wedded to to swapping her. I think. Between the two, she's definitely on the list. It's just which one we land on. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine to leave her where she was. I just think she does really good work here. On with a bullet is Angela Bassett. Like, <laughs> well, I think I think we need to have a debate here because it's like we we put these people on in an order. Oh, okay. Do you want Tenet Huerta on as the official pick and Bassett as the bonus, or do you want Bassett on as the official and Huerta as a bonus? I want Tenoch on first because okay. I think this movie really hinges on Namor's casting working out really, really well. I guess and like, that's the thing, where you're you are losing the Chadwick unifying central performance, but you're kind of handing that over to Namor. I guess he's more being a new Killmonger, but he definitely rises to it as... I think these kind of anti-hero-esque characters are really played out and difficult to make interesting, and I think he has found a way to do it. Yes, so good like i i think his softer moments are what really make the performance yeah i'd get behind that huerta on as as namor angela bassett as the first alternate with one of our we have three three picks that we have not used on this series so one from moon knight one from doctor strange and then one from thor love and thunder that are just unused at this point yeah and i had to really talk you into not having one spare from Werewolf by Night as well, and I might have even softened on that in the week since we recorded, but that's a conversation for another time. But, yeah, I feel very comfortable putting Bassett on as with one of those picks. Yeah, Do I mean, we we'll, want we'll... to go for anyone else? So, I we have Letitia Wright and Winston Duke kind of, like, on the side, and Letitia Wright, I feel, you mentioned earlier, she was a great presence in the original movie. Mm-hmm. As well, she like, was a little born... comedic foil to her brother. Yeah, we gave her it in the episode, but we obviously did. we kind of like we wanted to sub her out for Chadwick in light of like the real world events that happened in between mm. between miniseries. I mean, essentially. we could give it back to her for the first one. I think we could, but I think she's I think we fine saved... in this. But she's you yeah. need her to be like really good to make this truly hit that next level. She, and she's she just is not. Because the thing is, like, when we were discussing Chadwick, he was kind of our fifth choice originally when we were doing it. Because I think we had both Letitia Wright and Winston Duke ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And then I think in t- over time, you kind of realise just how gravitational yeah. Chadwick's performance was in that first movie. Yeah. And the fact that this movie lacks it, like, it does mean that kind of like people are orbiting in different ways yeah. and it just kind of gives a different energy to everything. So it makes the pick for Chadwick in the first movie even more yeah, of a exactly. lot, I feel. I think it, he wasn't doing as showy acting as everyone else, so we kind of we overlooked him 
but like as you say yeah as you get further from that movie and you watch it again and you see the impact of his death and like even like having him come back and do his voice in what if which sucks but like him coming back for that and you realize like how special this character's become still the best episode of what if and then the other name is like winston duke who i feel like has less to do in this movie (sighs) in that movie he's kind of like the second or third kind of like antagonist or or foil for it and stuff like that and i was actually surprised his his role here wasn't bigger than it is and maybe he should have got some of the screen time as well as the Atlanteans when we're... oh yeah, yeah that's the thing is like the fact that he really only shows up in the fight scenes and I'm like yeah no Winston Duke is a great person that you've just got in your back pocket like the fact mm-hmm. that he is he's great in us a lot of these actors who we're talking about are obviously like used by Jordan Peele just inescapably by the fact that like uh, Ryan Coogler and John Peel are two of the most prominent African-American filmmakers yeah. working at the moment. Uh, what do we think of Lupita Nyong'o? Who, like, Lupita Nyong'o, who, like, I had as my, like... Um, so I'm looking at my awards spreadsheet right now and just to kind of, like, see where I've got Angela Bassett in my, like, 2022 supporting category. But, like, Lupita Nyong'o won for me as Best Actress in 2019 for us. And obviously I, she is a, she is an Academy Award winner because she yeah. won for 12 Years a Slave. I have similar feelings about her in the first one where, like... I think Lupita is always a baseline level of great, but I just don't think this character has a large enough role for her to seize that like higher level. Like she's a stabilizing like... force, but she's not really doing anything. The thing that's holding her back more than anything is I think the sexlessness of the MCU means that she just wasn't able to actually feel like she had an organic relationship with T'Challa. Yeah. It felt like they were kind of like friends who were maybe close to hooking up as opposed to the one great love in each other's lives and stuff like that. And I think that is just a general weakness of the way that these movies are so sexless. And so when they show up with the sun and you're like, but T'Challa disappeared for five years. So like all of that happened off screen in between Black Panther and Infinity War. So yes, because they kind of end on a point of like, oh, maybe they're going to hook up again now. And I guess they did. And then she was hidden away and she obviously goes away during the blip and then raises the child through that because the child is too old for him to have been born oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. at any other point but i think like ramonda knew about she was gonna tell shuri about her i think so there's an element of like hiding her away with the child kind of thing but yeah i think her not showing up for an hour hurts her a little bit um, but I think she is a great presence when she yeah. does show up. I, I think like I, all of the stuff where she is just solo, kind of like doing this investigation stuff. I'm yeah. just like, yeah, Nyong'o is a goddamn professional. She is one of the best working actresses we have right now, and it's a shame that two movies in a row she's kind of been given fifth or sixth fiddle to like a lot flashy performances. Where I'm like, I mean, again, I, I think we both were secretly hoping over the course of this movie that you pivot yeah. into Lupita being the lead. I was of, exact, of I was movie. completely about to say that like heading up to release before the first trailer like word getting out that Letitia Wright is being a nuisance on set like espousing her anti-vax opinions and and you know do we have a PR nightmare on our hands and like there was speculation do you go to Winston Duke as as the next Black Panther do you go to Lupita Nyong'o as the next Black Panther instead of the obvious sort of comic accurate and probably the most narratively appropriate follow-up of Shuri but yeah, there definitely would have been a strong case for, like, she picks up her lover's mantle kind of thing. You know, she is a well-liked actress, and she has put in, like, professional work here, even if she hasn't been used to her full effect. But yeah, I could have seen it, but nah. So I would say Bassett, uh, well, Huerta and Bassett, 
my instinct would be Guerrero for this over the original, but I'm not wedded to it. But then I don't think anybody else. But that does leave us with two slots that we haven't come to a conclusion on, and I don't think now is the right time to kind of like hash that out. So I think our decision is we're going to do a all marvel summary which will include us doing like deciding on who these last two slots are and it will be an all-encompassing conversation as we kind of like close out phase four we go through the 38 names that are on there already and then figure out what who these kind of like final two are from our list of i think we've got about 15 names (laughs) kind of floating around as like people who've almost made it onto lists in the past and it might end up being three if banal comes back off if you're a long-time listener to this podcast we you know we thank you Every time we came to this segment, I would reel off who was already on. Obviously, when that gets into 30-plus people, that became impractical. So we've kind of... And you might be a new listener, and you're like, what the fuck are they talking about when they say all Marvel? So we just want to kind of get the house in order a little bit and try and uh, address that each time. I think we will also try and commit to updating the written version of the All Marvel list on entotherealworld.com. So I will link that in the show notes if that does happen. I guess it goes without saying the villain is good. It's Namor. We already talked about him from an acting standpoint and from a narrative standpoint. He's kind of like a soft, actually good in our kind of like categories where like, I think, again, more time (laughs) devoted to him and his like co-villains would have been a lot more interesting it's not a killmonger it's not a loki it's it's sort of in the the low portion of the top tier you know we we once jokingly called it like good actually meh and lol lamayo kind of thing that's the yeah exactly i i I summarized and kind of like color-coded it on our spreadsheet and kind of like limited everything to only one villain the only movie that doesn't have a villain from my perspective is spider-man no way home because i'm like how do you even process that one and then i i shared it with someone and there was just like are you sure that deviant crow should be the villain in eternals versus icarus or i think there was another one where people were like whatever I is mean, that the villain i think we did discuss icarus as a villain but we probably but yeah i mean look, look, look looking at this looking at this just to summarize we've got so of the 30 movies in the mcu hmm. there have been seven actually good villains <laughs> nine meh villains yeah and 11 bad villains yeah from our perspective which yeah. i think sounds right is that, that feels right it's a little smaller yeah they and that also doesn't include any of the villains from the tv shows where like it's a lot more um, nebulous and people are villains for like an episode or two but yeah. like we already know that miss marvel and moon knight will be contributing to the the, the worst villains list <laughs> i mean for a while miss marvel's villain was her mum being strict and like this works better than an actual like villain but then obviously she turns nice so that's for kind of forever a messy film yeah, we'll, a messy we'll... episode by necessity but still i i am positive on it and plenty to pick from i'm disappointed that this is how phase four ends because it doesn't feel like a grand like no. exclamation point to end it but then it's similar to kind of well it's not similar to ant-man but it considering phase one ends with avengers phase two ends with kind of ant-man and avengers kind of like back to back and then phase three is like the end game and spider-man far from home it's kind of on the upper end of kind of like not ending with a complete washout but there definitely wasn't a exclamation moment well, in they, anything that they did in phase four they like, obviously... the, the lack of avengers yeah. hurts this phase they they end the first phase with avengers and then they move to a pla- a thing of having an avengers and then having a sort of epilogue type thing with like what does it mean that tony is dead and like 
I mean, I don't really know what you want to say with Ant-Man as a follow-up to Ultron, but, you know, it's kind of like a breather. You know, what we've talked about where some shows will f- have their big episode be episode 9, and then 10 is kind of a wrapping things up and setting things up kind of thing. But yeah, it does, it does feel like they just decided that Phase 4 ended at kind of an arbitrary place. Like, it doesn't feel like Phase yeah. 4 is a cohesive statement piece from Marvel, no. unless you want to say it's introducing new heroes i mean that's but... all i ever hear is people saying it's a it, the whole thing is just setting up our characters for the future it's like yeah but we did that in phase one and they paid it off <laughs> like within five years and they have not done that here yeah i mean and a lot of it is obviously it feels like this year 2022 was kind of like the year of going back to old favorites with like spider-man in december doctor strange in may mm. thor in july and, and black panther in november yeah. but then the tv side didn't feel it's been weird a weird 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 phase and now we've had ant-man so we know that we're now firmly in the the kang section of setting up phase five but i mean i genuinely don't know how the rest of this year goes before that that year like when things were a little bit wobbly it was like okay they've got doctor strange they've got the ragnarok follow-up and they've got Wakanda forever like that's gonna be a banger of a year marvel's gonna be back baby and then like almost the most surefire layup of a of a follow-up was the worst one <laughs> yeah the most difficult one was i think it did get i i might slightly prefer multiverse of madness to this but like you know that with everything going against this for it to actually be remotely good is a triumph and then multiverse of madness was almost a blank slate because doctor strange is so eh and then that ended up being i think pretty decent but yeah it's a weird time for them and i don't think kugler like saved marvel but like he did a better job than i could have imagined and no uh, and the next project we get from marvel might just be guns of galaxy volume 3 which feels so divorced from everything else that's going on and it feels like it's going to be more of gun and these characters saying goodbye to 10 years worth of work as opposed to anything teeing up anything going forward in the it, mcu it doesn't feel like where guardians one has a scene of thanos sitting in a chair <laughs> knowing that thanos is coming soon it doesn't... no i feel i feel like it, in a way that ryan coogler kind of didn't get to where he was able to move away from the mcu stuff in this movie despite making a wholly successful original movie it feels like gun is firmly at that point and i don't know how much of that is feige and marvel apologizing him to fire for firing him and whatnot yeah. and just at the rallying point and then the fact that he is running the rival studio now <laughs> yeah i mean we'll see about that in in real world times this year and, and on this podcast next year with guardians 3 this is our last assessment of a project for this uh, volume of the podcast as ben said we'll be back next week with a kind of admin episode looking at all the performances but yeah that is 2022 in marvel really and uh i mean we don't need to keep beating this <laughs> this point but it has been a weird couple of years hopeful for a better slate of episodes next year certainly fewer projects definitely confirmed for the rest of 2023 than than we got bombarded with in 2021 and 2022 yeah i'm thinking at the moment like we might max out at like five to six episodes next year especially as we skip what if because it sucks what if what if season two is good and we're like fuck now we have to talk about it (laughs) i like the concept art they released the other day for this new character that they've got okay but again it feels like one of those things where like i don't understand what you mean by it being a what if it's like what if the tesseract did a thing and landed in (laughs) landed in pre-colonial america i'm like okay i wasn't even thinking that was a possibility but sure go off what if a random story is not the spirit of a what if (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, that's what kind of forever. We'll be back next week. And uh, thank you, Ben, for this. Thank you, Matt. And as always, and Imperious Rex. Rex. <laughs> <laughs> Imperious Rex. Imperious Sex. <laughs> Make me mad at it.